providing real solutions for real industry challenges. Welcome to FNF Unplugged, the talk of the title industry. Hey, Chuck, thanks for joining us. Certainly an interesting time in the real estate industry. Let's talk about the business in general, uh, refinances, where we're at there, uh, maybe commercial real estate and existing home sales and those transactions. Uh, are we seeing more inventory there? Kind of give us an update on uh, these different areas. Well, sure, Brian, and thanks a lot for having me on. Just sort of midsummer madness here, as the old uh, melodrama goes. Refinances, uh, you know, and the MBA has been discussing, and applications have steadily dropped through the spring, particularly in regard to refinance activity. But we did see the ten-year uh, bond drop to one point three five percent yesterday. Uh, that was on the sixth of July, and um, so there's certainly plenty of uh, transactions to be refinanced. Black Knight reported uh, a week ago that there were probably still ten million refinances available in the marketplace where it made sense for people to refinance. And they said, well, you know, that was down from where we were, but that's still an extraordinary high number. So I think we will probably continue to see some refinance activity that in any other marketplace we would consider robust. It's just not going to be what we saw, particularly in 2020 and into early 2021, when the rates started to move. If rates start to move up, people may decide to jump on to refinance if they have not yet refinanced. But I think we'll see a fair amount of refinance activity. Commercial activity is starting to perk up in a lot of areas. And we're seeing that uh, from uh, the reports from the various um, real estate investment trusts that they're starting to look for a pretty decent year. There's also a lot of M&A activity in the REIT marketplace right now as they begin to consolidate like everybody else has. But uh, commercial activity uh, you know, appears to be on the upswing. And some of it still, when it uh, has to do with travel and leisure, hotels, things like that, we're probably still going to be a little slow in regard to that. But uh, we're seeing a lot more commercial activity uh, starting to pick up. And I think you know, for existing homes, uh, the big problem has been inventory. And I know, say, I'm in Cincinnati in the Midwest, and uh, at this point, about any house that hasn't at least half burned down can be sold in 24 hours for over the uh, listing price. So we're still seeing a very tight market, though there is opening in some marketplaces, as reported in Housing Wire uh, yesterday, that some uh, marketplaces are starting to ease up a bit. Florida apparently is easing up a bit among uh, other areas. But um, we're going to see, I think, uh, you know, a lot of demand here through the summer and into the uh, fourth quarter for uh, home sales, existing home sales and new construction. The builders are still optimistic and they are still trying to build as much as they can. And some of the good news is that lumber prices have fallen considerably. So that makes it more affordable to build a new home and for a builder to uh, put together a reasonable profit in regard to the sale of a new home is versus taking a loss because the lumber prices went up above their uh, initial bid. So uh, I think we're going to see a pickup. And I think also, too, as we begin to come out of forbearance, and I know we'll talk about what the CFPB has uh, been doing here this summer in a couple of minutes, but 
uh, July is the big month in terms of uh, the number of mortgages that come out of forbearance. And by the end of September, the vast majority of the mortgages will be out of forbearance. The Bureau has uh, put together uh, some of its uh, rules in regard to uh, pre-foreclosure requirements. So foreclosure will be available. There was a concern that foreclosure was simply going to be in abeyance until perhaps uh, the end of the year completely. Bureau's like, no, we can, you can do it, but under certain circumstances. And uh, I think we'll start to see that a lot of those houses will come on the marketplace. The FHA delinquency rate is still very, very high. Not the historic high that we saw here um, earlier in the year, but it is still an extremely high 90-day delinquency rate. And so I think we're going to see a lot of those houses come up for sale. The good news is there is equity in those homes, so this should not be some problem in terms of uh, an economic problem uh, across the board or for those sellers on the fact that they can't make their payments. So, um, you know, we we will see equity in those homes. There's not going to be a a free fall, but I think we're going to start to see more homes, especially after the first year come on to the marketplace because uh, the forbearance will have expired and some people just need to get out of their houses. I think it's ironic that you featured convergence on this podcast uh, over the past few weeks because we're at an interesting convergence with uh, affordable housing, right? The need to address these issues and the inequality in the market out there that is, is going to be a big deal. It already is, but and the fact that we have an administration also, you know, that wants that, but then at the same time with FHFA joining the Bureau, more compliance, more oversight here, you factor that in with the fact you're trying to essentially loosen things up a little bit, right? I mean, talk about what that all means and how the agency might be different under Sandra Thompson, because, you know, you're trying to move some initiatives forward that with increased oversight, it might be kind of difficult, right? Well, it will be interesting to see how Director Thompson runs uh, the agency. Of course, uh, Director Calabria, with his background out of the Cato Institute and by professed libertarian. One of his big things was to make uh, the GSEs financially solvent all by themselves. He wanted them to really become private entities and have to stand and fall like any other private business. Director Thompson comes out with a little different background. She's been at FHFA for a number of years, and uh, she began her career in risk management at the FDIC. So she understands that you can't just run out and offer FHA loans to everybody who's you know ever worn shoes. You've got to be able to maintain standards. And certainly, I think that under her directorship, we will see a movement towards uh, perhaps lower credit standards and more risk. At least that's what an awful lot of the trade papers seem to think through the GSEs. But it'll be interesting to see how this all moves forward because certainly fair housing, fair lending, and increasing home ownership among underserved communities is uh, one of the priorities, perhaps the greatest priority of the Biden administration, rather than coming out of the COVID issues. And certainly the fair housing, fair lending programs, you know, fair lending, fair housing is good for everybody. It's good for communities. It's good for business because it gets more people into the business cycle. It's good for commerce that improves neighborhoods. There is no downside to fair housing, fair lending. The question is, what does the Bureau in particular, what do they 
see in regard to acceptable behavior uh, in regard to fair lending and fair housing practices. And the Bureau's been very busy this summer. Historically, D.C. gets really hot, um, hotter than the Pacific Northwest where you're sitting. Um, <laughs> but uh, and so things tend to slow down in D.C. And of course, Congress uh, takes off for uh, August. But the Bureau's been pretty active and uh, they released their summer supervisory highlights. I've always enjoyed the fact that they always refer to them as supervisory highlights. Some people call them lowlights, but <laughs> uh, but they discuss their impetus to uh, move forward with fair housing and fair lending practices and to you know end redlining and there's a comment in the two paragraphs that discuss this about the townstone litigation that the bureau has brought and some of the allegations that the bureau's made in the townstone litigation and that the bureau seems to think that uh, those allegations of the things that are discussed that these are things that everybody needs to be concerned about. The Townstone litigation is probably, to my mind, some of the most controversial litigation involving the Bureau for some time, probably since the PHH case, because they brought the ECOA complaint against a non-bank mortgage lender. That has never been done. It was always against banks before. And uh, some of the things that the Bureau has raised has to do with the use of advertising and social media by Townstone as to what may have been said uh, in regard to some radio programs that uh, Townstone sponsored and that its president uh, was a speaker on. But uh, they discuss uh, other things, too, in regard to how does a mortgage lender function in such a way to encourage people to uh, apply for loans through them. And uh, it includes diversity of employment. It includes you know, seeing to it that, uh, I mean, one thing that's raised is a picture of a loan officer who happens to be a white male, that what is the effect of that on uh, an underserved community if uh, they don't see people who look like them? who may be loan officers. These are going to be serious issues. And uh, I would encourage anybody who uh, is looking to go to any conference, and the conferences are starting again here this autumn, look for some discussion of the Townstone case if you're looking for a conference, because this is going to spill into title and settlement as well as lending if the Bureau sort of has their way about it. And if you're a small business, how do you do all those things? And so there's been a lot of uh, comment that uh, it's a return to uh, regulation through enforcement versus creating sort of clear rules, which Acting Director Mulvaney was always about that. That's like, let's tell people what to do before we come charging in to penalize them. But it's a very interesting issue because fair lending, fair housing, admirable things to do for everybody. But the Bureau is coming in pretty forcefully in regard to what they think must be done in regard to fair housing and fair lending from the lending side at this point. But it's certainly something that everybody who's entitled in settlement needs to be uh, concerned about in regard to their social media. What are their employees saying on their Facebook pages? Uh, What are their vendors saying on their Facebook pages? Uh, You need to monitor all these things because if comments are being made uh, that may be viewed as being uh, Uh, difficult to reconcile with a fair lending, fair housing advocacy, that could be a problem. And it could be a problem for a settlement service provider 
if not through a regulator, it could be through a lender who is a customer who has decided that they are going to impose their requirements in regard to fair lending, fair housing, in terms of advertising, marketing, social media, and what are their third-party providers, what are they doing in regard to uh, their Facebook pages, and what are they saying, and what are they advocating? So it's something that in title and settlement, it's, uh, we're not right now in uh, you know the crosshairs of that target, but uh, depending how Townstone works out, and certainly many lenders who I have spoken to are already concerned and are already starting to change a lot of their uh, social media and marketing practices to come more into conformity with what the Bureau is talking about because they don't want to run into problems with the regulator later on. They obviously want to encourage people uh, of all backgrounds to uh, make mortgage loan applications to their companies, but uh, they're starting to move uh, in directions uh, more along what the Bureau has talked about, because even if the Bureau does not prevail in Townstone, there's still going to be an awful lot of this residual concern, I think. But it's something that we all need to talk about in title and settlement and look at in regard to fair lending and fair housing, besides being actively involved in local fair lending and fair housing initiatives. Yeah, and all this falls under marketing, of course, Linda Grohovec, uh, key player for FNF in that regard. And uh, you talk about marketing to real estate agents who, well, they're really, I don't want to say they're not there. They're there, but they're not where they were prior to COVID, right? I mean, you talk about social media, uh, the marketing component here and how important that is. And as much as we all want things to get back to quote unquote normal, it's just not going to be that way for a while, if ever, right? I mean, uh, you really have to adjust your marketing, not only from a compliance standpoint, but from a, you know, a post-COVID world now, right? I think uh, indeed one must. And uh, if you haven't already done it, uh, you're probably already behind. We were seeing that transition two and three years ago, where the productive real estate agents rarely have ever set foot in the broker's office. They operate virtually. As Chelsea Pites talked about when uh, we had her uh, on FNF Unplugged, uh, when you uh, uh, go to the Facebook page of a real estate agent that you do a lot of business with, and they've got a posting on something, and you like it, well, you can click like, and that's nice, so you and 58 other people like it, but put a comment on. Build the conversation. Help them build their Facebook page by creating a community for them. And that's what social media is about. It's about creating a community of um, customers that are readily attuned to the services you provide, but also know that you are part of their world and they are part of your world. And so it, it is very different. And we see certainly, too, and we've been seeing it uh, for the last three to four years, I will call it the rise of the teams more and more in uh, real estate brokerages as versus having seven or eight sort of all-star real estate agents who operate in a solo basis. There'll be three or four teams of um, real estate agents who uh, work as a group, two, three, five, seven, whatever the number is, in those teams, they are made up uh, usually of seasoned and uh, highly productive 
real estate agents, and then there's usually some sort of newbies who are coming on, who are assisting, learning uh, the ropes. And quite often, that's where I am hearing this too from many of the real estate brokers who have been providing an awful lot of the education for the younger agents. It's like, well, some of these teams are providing as much of it as possible. So the teams are out there. And I, uh, get phone calls from uh, title and settlement agents all around the country about affiliated business. And I would say in the last six months, I have heard titling about doing some sort of affiliated business arrangement, a marketing service agreement, whatever it may be that's permissible uh, in the state and, of course, done on a compliant basis, but with a team, not with a broker, but with a team. And uh, that's going to consistently the build, and we've been hearing it again for a number of years. So, yes, it's uh, in title and settlement. If anybody thinks that post COVID we're going to go back to uh, dropping off donuts, well, I hope that you shorted that Krispy Kreme stock because <laughs> um, it's not going to be there because the productive uh, real estate agents just aren't there. And again, in the case of many companies, there is no office to go to, you can only build relationship through social media community. Yeah, you're going to have to email or text them a gift card to Krispy Kreme. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> no, actually, you're going to have to Grubhub it and have them deliver the Krispy Kreme. Um, again, if state law permits and it's within the confines of what might be acceptable under RESPA, I will throw all that in. Probably better that you deliver the Krispy Kreme yourself <laughs> as versus sending Grubhub. Well, I have you. Uh, you are in Chicago. You are on the road, Chuck. I mean, what's it like to be uh, back out there? And I know you've got a, a bunch of meetings coming up here the next day or so back face to face. I know you've had a couple uh, so far, but I mean, this is kind of starting to fire back up again, isn't it? It absolutely has. And, you know, uh, in the second quarter, I attended uh, a couple face-to-face meetings, uh, regional meetings, uh, state land title association meetings. I'm here in Chicago. Illinois Land Title Association is having a face-to-face meeting. We have other states uh, through the summer who are doing face-to-face. I know Oklahoma, Texas, uh, New York, a number of states. Uh, LTA meetings are going to be uh, live face-to-face meetings. Uh, Still a lot of virtual meetings on going. Some of that is because they were shifted to virtual and you can't just shift back easily uh, between the two uh, formats. But um, we're getting there. And I think um, you know, starting with uh, the NS3 event uh, at the end of August, that's sort of the kickoff. And uh, you and I were talking about it earlier. Um, I'm living out of a suitcase in September and October between state LTA meetings, uh, Mortgage Bankers Association uh, meetings. Of course, Alta One uh, will be in New Orleans uh, the second week. Uh, of October. Respro is meeting the first week of October. Inman Connect uh, is meeting in Las Vegas uh, the last week of October, where, again, if somebody wants to go see what real estate professionals are doing in regard to their social media and uh, marketing, that's the place to go to see that. So, you know, we're, we're seeing a return to the meetings now. As I'm here in Chicago, not a lot of people in downtown Chicago. It's relatively quiet compared to what Chicago is normally like. But uh, uh, but yeah, we're seeing that return, and and people I think uh, are very happy and gratified that uh, you know we're able to do these meetings and face to face, and uh, with you know knocking on wood that we don't have a major return of COVID, that the Delta variant isn't a problem uh, for these meetings. People are thrilled. 
And, uh, and again, I think that uh, anybody who's entitled in settlement, you know, look and see what's going to be available because it's going to be a crowded schedule between Labor Day and, uh, say, Veterans Day. That's always sort of the height of convention seasons anyway, but a lot of people are packing in conventions. So there will be some conflicts where it may be that there are two different things you'd like to go to, but they're at the same time because uh, uh, different trade associations are trying to get you know, back uh, people together so that um, you can do the uh, networking that has been so missed, I think, by virtual. I mean, there's there's been things that have worked virtually for networking, but there's nothing like being with somebody and then running into somebody else at a trade association meeting. So, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's back. Yeah, I love Chicago. I always think of the uh, scene from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I think it was the Von Steuben Day Parade in, in that movie, right? <laughs> I mean, that's what I think downtown Chicago. I mean, a lot of activity, so it's weird even hearing that it's quiet there. But, you know, I think it'll come back at some point. Oh, yes. it. Uh, all the major cities and uh, you know, real estate values within the downtown areas of most of the major cities are holding up or actually uh, you know, have reached pre-COVID levels. You know, Manhattan uh, and Brooklyn have reached pre-COVID levels in terms of real estate sale prices. Renters are leaving. Renters are moving to the suburbs and quite often, but uh, there's still people living downtown. And uh, I know, say, I'm based in Cincinnati, and of course, it's nowhere near the kind of scope of uh, New York or Chicago or Detroit or other cities that are really starting to pick up downtown. But uh, uh, our downtown population continues to grow and continues to be very active. So the the real core downtown uh, residential properties seem to be holding up and... uh, in many cases have reached uh, pre-COVID price levels, but uh, I don't think there's many people working, and I've noticed that in the airports, too. If it's leisure travel, the airport's busy. If it's business travel, they're just not as busy yet, but we'll get back to it. Yeah. Well, great insight as always, Chuck. Thanks for joining us, and enjoy ILTA in Chicago. Thanks a lot, Brian. If you have questions, comments, or would like us to feature a specific topic, email fnfeducation at fnf.com. Thanks for downloading FNF Unplugged, a presentation of the FNF family of companies. All rights reserved. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or an endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own, and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent, including Fidelity National Financial or its directors. Please seek legal or financial advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein.